1: It's hard to believe that we've been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since
0: 2011. You're telling me producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies we've covered.
1: Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great conversations.
0: I was so excited for our big Star Trek film franchise series this season. All those movies adapted from Gene Roddenberry's original 1960s TV show.
1: As a huge fan, I know that you geeked out over analyzing the adaptations.
0: Absolutely. From the motion picture to the Kelvin timeline films, seeing the Enterprise crews on the big screen was a dream come true. Our list
1: of source material isn't just all books and plays. We have the original series in our list of source material. You can rent the episodes to watch and enjoy and support the show in the process.
0: For our Millennium Trilogy series, we covered films adapted from the original books that launched Lisbeth Salander, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Girl Who Played with Fire, and The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest.
1: As much as I love Fincher's version, the original Swedish versions are the way to go. We also did our Die Hard series in Season 7.
0: I can't believe Die Hard and Die Hard 2 were adaptations! Two of the greatest action movies ever. Well, one of them, at least.
1: The other is awfully fun, though. We revisited the classic Mary Poppins for our 1960s movie musical series. A Spoonful of Sugar Always Helps the Medicine Go Down.
0: Old Boy was intense for our Park Chan-wook Vengeance Trilogy. And East of Eden and Giant were highlights of our James Dean series.
1: And a fun time travel mind-bender with predestination to cap
0: things off. Find all the books behind these adaptations and more at thenextreal.com slash originals.
1: Dive into the source material for your favorite movies. Check it out today, thenextreal.com slash originals.
0: Next reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Hey, hey, hey! And we spoil movies. Tonight on the show, we're kicking off our series on great time travel movies with the Spanish thriller from 2007 Time Crimes. (laughs) Andy, I really enjoy this movie, and I, I feel like I I, I it's been a while since I've seen it I, and I my memory of it is that it is very strong because specifically because it is on the easier side of being able to follow it
1: <laughs> this is my understanding of time travel or this is the way kind of time travel movies work in my head okay i i, I watch the film i process the film I I, I piece it all together and I can I can get it like it all clicks. And then just, you know, as as time ticks away from me finishing it slowly, those pieces fall apart. How
0: did that work again? Is that logical? Yeah, no, right. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally get that. But see, I, I compare this like there is this low budget kind of gestalt here around time travel, which is because you can get away with it without fancy effects. You know, you close a door and suddenly boop, time just passed. And uh, the, this is one of those movies. It is, uh, you know, along the lines of Primer. I know that's something that you were thinking about. I was thinking about that, too. With Primer, I need a damn chart, like a flow chart. To figure out what just happened and how did it happen and where are we now? Like, didn't they just go to sleep in a carton and wake up and <laughs> that was and time moved? Like, <laughs> right. But here, uh, this movie, I feel like I they do a, a fair job of the visual cues. And you can tell from the very first sort of sequence where uh, he, he comes home with all of the stuff, and he goes in and they do a close-up on the phone falling under the couch. And and these little cues, these little like um, extreme close-ups on, on specific elements, you just know in your heart of hearts, okay, I'm going to need to pay attention to that. And Nacho Vigalondo does such a good job of helping me realize what I need to pay attention to that I never really feel lost, even when I'm trying to piece together. Now, which Hector are we talking about in this? movie. What is going on? You know, where are these act- characters supposed to be across timelines? I'm never lost in, uh, in in the clues that that keep me understanding what the overall narrative is. And that feels really rewarding. Yeah.
1: And, and you're right. It, like Primer, that is a movie that I also fully can grasp it like as soon as I finish. But it's like the um, the, the fallout from my head happens so much faster with that film. with here. Maybe that's a better I, way to put it. Yeah. yeah, I I I can it sticks with me longer and I can piece it together and I can I can really kind of revel in the puzzle of the film and the different hectors and and who is where and what's going on and how it all ties together. And that's really what makes this one so much fun is this whole idea of just watching this man struggle with uh, with this whole notion that he's just been thrust into a, a time travel sci-fi movie, essentially. And now he's trying to figure out, okay, well, if that's the case and now I'm back in time and that is happening there, I have to make this happen because otherwise the me that's over there is not going to do the thing that got me to here. And that's what I love about this, is this whole idea of this 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 guy who becomes active because he sees, you know, that's the only way that he's going to end up getting to where he is. And, you know, we, we talk about these movies where it's like this main character who makes these decisions and it it kind of puts them onto this downward, downward spiral. And we see Hector as he's just, you know, making decisions that keep making things worse and worse for him. And by the time we get to him at the end as Hector three, I mean, he is like beaten and he's bruised and his face is swollen and lumpy. He's got gashes and blood all over him. He is not the man he was at the start of this film. And that makes for uh, a really just exciting journey to kind of watch this guy go through this horrendous struggle because of some, some of the decisions that he made.
0: Yeah, it, Totally. And And feels, you're put in this position as you're watching the movie that you feel like uh, you're completely helpless and, uh, that he is completely helpless. Like he's been just, like you say, like he's on rails, you know, he has to do certain things to make the, to make things play out the exact same way they played out before. Uh, but at the same time, he's trying to change just enough so that he can get back into his own life. And, uh, the, the ultimate sort of decision to resolve that I think is, is, um, uh, well, I, I think it's wonderful because it's like, as, as Vigalondo said in an interview, it's like a toy for the audience. It's like a playground for the audience. Like when it leaves and that car drives away, you know, what do you think is going to happen next? I don't know, he says. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you. Uh, but it it sure is fun to watch.
1: It's this It's this really interesting journey of this man who... Uh, he is going through this, this world of this, you know, action or no action. And, and he becomes a man of action. And I think that's interesting to, to note in a film that deals with time travel, this is a protagonist who very much is focused on action. Because you can have protagonists who are more focused on inaction and things happen to them and now they have to deal with the repercussions. In this and I feel like particular... we're going to be
0: talking about that coming, you know, in coming weeks.
1: Yeah, right. In this particular case, this is a person who who makes things happen and and then he kind of has to keep dealing with that. And I love this whole idea of this this time travel exploration because if you lay out the, the different time loops on top of each other and try to pinpoint, okay, this is where... Uh, Hector 3, this is Hector 1's timeline, this is where Hector 3 comes in, this is where Hector 2 comes in, this is where Hector uh, uh, 2 leaves, or Hector Hector 1 leaves, Hector 2 leaves. Like seeing how all these different uh, people are layered into the story, and then you go, okay, they're all making actions at the same time, how does that um affect kind of this this giant uh you know layer cake that we are creating here and the question that i find so fascinating especially as it relates to time travel here is so if hector two does chooses to not um you know kidnap the girl and go through this whole action of 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 you know laying her out naked and all that so that hector one sees her and is drawn over if he doesn't do any of that does that like what happens i mean or is he by some some wheel of fate um, just the fact that he sees what's going on he he's like mentally he has no choice but to actually lay those pieces in like it, it does he have any choice and in, in the matter in, anymore or yes. is it it's just it it's mind blowing and i love thinking about it and how how much say he really has in things that are happening
0: it is the question of free will. How much free will does he have, and and what exactly is it? What is it that compels him to take action in the first place? What is it that compels him to say, "Well, there's another, there's another guy. I got to get him over here. We've got to figure out how to get him out of the way." When in fact, you know, he he could have taken strides. I mean, ultimately, I think what he wanted to do was kill the other guy so he could take his place in his life, right? I mean, is that kind of what you were? Where you started thinking about that about that twenty minute mark?
1: Well, that's where it starts. You start wondering what his what he's thinking. He's hoping to do. Right. Yeah, is he gonna? Is
0: he trying to gotta kill himself to take care of himself? Like, what is he really wanting to do here? That was always my assumption as as I watched this thing that that his initial um, act was going to be to try to kill the other self. Well, he does so stab that- him he does stab him but weirdly it seems you know why why does he stab him where he does you know that didn't seem like he was not really taking it very seriously well but again <laughs> it goes it well.
1: to it goes to free will and fate you know we yeah. already know from the fact that he's there that he was only stabbed in the arm and was he able to ever do anything to himself other than just stab him in his arm or if he actually killed him would that throw the time loop into a tizzy and the whole thing would collapse? Or would Hector 2 now have a dead Hector 1, but somehow the timeline still works? Like, it's so complicated. And this is why time travel is
0: fun. Yeah, and that's the thing that I I keep thinking, that this is a movie that has already absolved itself of any sort of concern about... Um, you know, will the time loop collapse or will time collapse on itself, especially if, if these two characters come in into contact with each other? You know, that that doesn't happen. And so his choice was in the beginning to say, you know what, I'm going to walk away like I'm going to start a new life and maybe I'm going to do it with this, you know, this girl who took her clothes off at Scissor Point Point. In the other timeline, maybe I'm going to go hang out with her and see what happens, and and that gets us to this other sort of discussion that this movie is is uh, actually a story of of uh, you know duplicity and uh, adultery. Which Um, yeah, go
1: ahead. I just find that such a fascinating way to look at this, where here is this guy who sees a naked woman off in the distance and he's drawn to her, and then. Because of decisions he made, if you look at this as adultery, as if he went off to to uh, you know, uh, have an affair with this woman, um, now he is in a place where all of a sudden he's having to cover his tracks and it's getting more complicated and more difficult to cover his tracks. Until by the end, he's got these two lovers in the same place and he's got to hurt one in order to spare the other. And how that becomes kind of a, a really fascinating way to look at what's going on here that is so much bigger than just this
0: sci-fi time travel
1: movie, which works perfectly fine on its own.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It really does. And this is one of those examples, you know, where you you read these sort of generally accepted theories. And to me, at least, this one is really easy. It goes down really easy. Um, and, and I just love the sense of anxiety that comes with this storyline. Once I put this this adulterous man in my head, uh, it is so easy for me to cast that over the entire movie, that this guy will do anything. He will do anything in his power to to hide his tracks, uh, to hide his initial, if you take it all the way back to the beginning, his initial uh, desire... To continue to look through his binoculars at this woman who is topless in the woods, uh, he he wanted to do that. He wanted to sort of play it off. You could. I, I just got this feeling that he was like trying to hide it from his wife, trying to urge her to go run your errands. You go ahead and go get dinner, uh, all to hide the fact that he he was just sort of you know taking a lecherous moment with his binoculars and all of his entire life and lives fall apart as a result of that action. And I think that is a really compelling premise for a time travel movie.
1: Well, and that's what sci-fi does so well when they take a concept that is just a sci-fi story on the surface, and then it's layered with these allegories that give it a much deeper sense of story and make it such a more interesting take on what you're already seeing and something that, on repeat viewings, you can start kind of getting more and more out of it. So I think that Vigalondo does a great job here of allowing there to be more to this story. And that also plays into, which I, I find so interesting as I watch this film, especially on this this latest rewatch, when you're watching Hector, uh, the actor, Cara El Halde, playing him as he's kind of going through the motions of the various storylines, it, it it was always perplexing to me that, okay, he never seems as concerned as i feel he should be in these moments like you know he he doesn't seem like he's quite as scared of of the guy who's chasing him or whatever it happens to be right he's never quite there and when you take it and you look at it as the allegory it's because i you know i think that that ties in really nicely because it's like you know he's kind of there's this sense that you know he he knows what he's doing but he's also kind of there's some you know, he got some joy out of it and it's not quite the guilt, but it's not quite, I don't know. It just, it made it feel okay that it was, he wasn't quite as scared
0: as maybe he should have been. Yes. Right. Right. I guess you're right. And, and it took me a while to get into that too, because he is, he's a stoic, uh, you know, the, the performance is stoic and, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't wear his sort of emotional performance on, on his sleeve and, by the end of the movie, when he is fully beaten up and he's frankly covered in prosthetics and makeup, as his eyes are swelling and his lips are swelling, his jaw is swelling. The more they put on his face, uh, the more I found myself attracted to his performance. Yeah, that that I felt like I understood it that much better, and that was a that's a weird turn to make.
1: Well, and you get to those points toward the end where uh, it's almost like a a person who. You know he's acknowledging the mistakes that he's made in his life, and as he's talking to uh, the scientist, um, I think it's in the rain at the end of Hector Two, as he's just about to go through the machine one last time. um, There's kind of this sense of, uh, I mean, his, you know, he he has seen his wife die, and you know he's just been broken as a man and he realizes that it's all because of him and those are kind of moments in this allegorical view of the film you know he's realized the mistakes he's made and and he has to come clean he has to find that way to come clean now um, even if it means the end of him even if it means revealing the truth whatever it may be and that's what i find so Uh, powerful in his performance as I mean, yes, he's covered in those prosthetics. But when you hit that final moment, and he makes that decision to go through and make those final changes, and then he goes to his house, and he kind of almost choreographs the way that things are happening there. um, It's, it's just kind of, it's really touching to see. But for me, it's really that turn that he has when he's like, I have to do it. That, to me, was like the defining moment of his character.
0: Well, totally. And he, he totally, you know, the way he changes, his demeanor changes as it, it moves from, I am completely puzzled by whatever, what is going on here, but I know that I have to take this next action uh, in order to make things play out right. When he pivots to, yeah, I'm, I'm going to start taking us out of this loop. I'm going to start exercising a little more free will, and I'm going to put my my other, you know, now my wife that has just discovered me all beaten up. Uh, I'm going to put her in this closet and lock her up so that I can a- actually let this play out the you know in a in a different way, only to discover that in fact it was the exact same way, right? <laughs> it had played out before, uh, but but uh, you know as you uh, in in the the final sequences you have that that flyover uh, camera and and you see them sitting in their Porch uh, or sitting in their yard in their lawn chairs, just as they had in, earlier in the film. I, I found that it, r- mysterious and and really touching in in the same way that he finally decided that, as you said, this this was a man of action. That in fact, just sitting down and becoming a man of inaction, uh, as a result of every next action being so destructive, that the only thing he could do is just stop, just yeah. stop. Uh, I found that fantastic.
1: I did, uh, you know, you naturally, when a film like this ends, um, I, I kind of kept playing it in my head. I'm like, okay, so the police are going to come. They're going to talk about yeah. the attack. The, the killer killed this girl. They're gonna take fingerprints but not get any anything except for his, because he's the only they're one who's everywhere. been everywhere. Yeah. But then they're gonna do fingerprints on the van, they're gonna do fingerprints on the other car. Like his fingerprints are all over the place. And yes. you know, I'm but sorry, both but he's as still...
0: a both as a bloody victim and as somebody <laughs> right. driving these other cars. Like, how do you piece that together?
1: I just feel like he's he's in trouble. Like he may feel like he's finally out of it. But when when, uh, you know, the police finally wrap everything up, the fact that his fingerprints are all over the place. I just just somehow I, I don't know how they could ever prove anything because his wife was with him when the whole killing yeah. actually happened. Right. I, I don't know. It, it, it's just mind blowing as you as you think about it.
0: My it the, the thing that so you're piecing together the real practical like reality stuff. I am <laughs> trying to piece together what when does the loop stop? Because he has taken himself out of the uh, out of the loop, right? By we presume by sitting down on the yard uh, in yeah. the lawn. I don't, I don't and, think and it's
1: yeah. I think it's a it's a definite taking out of the loop. He chooses inaction, like you said. Yeah, that that is the thing that finally ends it. Is he finally realizes he has to stop, stay in the place that he wants to continue in, and just let the loops end.
0: Okay, so there was still a guy in the black car. There was still a him.
1: The, the, right. The, that drives yeah, away. Hector, Hector two drives away, goes back up. He he talks to the scientist, and the scientist throws the battery away. They go through the whole thing where you know he's like, "You told me, you you told me not to let you go through." Um, so that whole thing plays out still, mm-hmm. um, and then that Hector two. That's when he makes the decision. I'm going to go through it again, and he jumps back and becomes Hector three. Uh, and as soon as he jumps back, uh, which presumably would be just a little bit after the movie ends. Um, Mm -hmm. We're back to just having one Hector left in the story.
0: Because where did he jump back to? One very
1: confused scientist. (laughs) He jumped back to the very beginning of the story, um, becoming Hector 3, because Hector 3 is the first Hector to appear. The scientist, as soon as he (laughs) turns it on, Hector 3 appears and says, (laughs) you know, there's another version of me is about to come through here.
0: Which I is the guy imagine. that we started with, right? That was the that was the guy we started with That's when Hector. Now two, from a Hector new angle comes through. Yeah, he's yeah. yeah,
1: right. That's the start of Hector two.
0: Forty seconds later, correct. This is why I want to do a multi-screen of this movie. Pretty much of all the movies that deal with these loops, I want to piece together the timing and so that any angle where they're together is on the screen at the same time, just from a different multi-angle, right? And I want to try and see if the time works out in this movie. Like, do you think they? Do you think he thought it through at that level, or is time flexible between loops? Oh, I think there's going to be some flexibility because there's a lot
1: of stuff happening. There's a lot of running through the forest and yeah, stuff that we're we not going to be privy to. But I do feel that it would be really exciting to see like a three-screen um, layout of these three stories in the different timelines and you start with the car as he, it starts in the grocery parking lot as he's pulling away. And then my hunch is everything starts going awry. I think Hector three and Hector two arrive right around the time when his car screws up and his tailgate pops open, dumping everything all over the driveway. I think Mm -hmm. to me that was a storytelling device that says something just went wrong. It was the appearance of Hector three because shortly after Hector 3 um, has appeared Hector 2 appears and then Hector 2 runs outside and sees Hector 1 bringing that table out in the back to his wife so
0: right so that's right.
1: kind of my hunch is it's okay. it's all <laughs> hinging around that tailgate as everything falls out of the driveway
0: we do that we need to do that. I think that would be super cool. I'd love it. I actually looked wow. for it. I was hoping somebody had done it already, but it could be us, Sandy. It could be. That somebody could be us and maybe we just haven't found it yet. Wow. Well then we have <laughs> to send it to ourselves in the past so that we yeah. can talk about it on the yeah. show too. I'm just gonna post it in YouTube. Can hey, you there you that? go. All right. Uh, What else did you notice about the movie? Uh, Not just the uh, crazy storyline, but uh, just uh, the production. This is Nacho's first uh, first foray into features.
1: Yeah, this is a guy who had done a number of short films, uh, writing and directing them. He was nominated for an Oscar in 2005 for his short film, 735 AM or 735 de la mañana, which uh, did you watch it? no Did, okay it came on the dvd and so I've i seen didn't
0: do that i mine was itunes i didn't uh, oh okay catch it. i didn't know if it would yeah. come on
1: the itunes version or not it was a um it's a fun little short film it's nothing um that like blew me away or anything um but it was really creative and it was done in a fun way and so i could see and it's short it was is short and to the point and it didn't overstay its welcome and so by the time it's done it's like okay perfect And so I can see maybe why it was nominated. Um, It it did make me want to watch the other four nominated films to see, um, you know, were they all of this caliber or because I feel like I feel like I've seen better short films. But still, it was enough for Nacho to get notoriety. You know, he got an Oscar nomination, which gave him the notoriety uh, to get funding. And he got that. He got to make this movie. Um, and I think he did a good job. You know, I love that he has this nice color palette that is very gray, green, brown, a lot of those sorts of colors throughout the film, um, yeah. especially as we go from day into night and things get dark and moody. A um, lot of just really nice, smooth camera movement throughout. I just, I liked the way that he put it together. I felt he did a good job in the storytelling department and in the department of uh, just designing the film to kind of be of a world
0: absolutely agree and actually i love that he was in it uh, yeah. as as our scientist uh lackey um weekend scientist we should say right i, I love that whole storyline that he snuck in because they weren't gonna turn the thing on soon enough and just decided to play with it like that cracks me up uh i, I love that there's a there's a little east it's not even an easter egg but i just thought it was a great touch that um and i had to go back and check i i read a a little fact and tidbit note that there's a please pay for um please pay for your Sorry. you know unlicensed software on the screen and it turns out it's right there how funny is it that there's a time machine that's using like unlicensed beta software <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny um and and really really good like it just felt like all of the touches of this movie were just nailed down. Like I, it didn't feel like there are a whole bunch of weird, um, you know, of weird open endings that I, I don't, don't feel like can be answered somehow through the loops.
1: Did you notice the hand when you were first watching it? Like, cause Hector three's hand is kind of sticking out from behind the machinery when Hector when two arrives, Hector two comes out. And that's the, so the very first time he goes to the time machine and we're with him, Going from Hector one to Hector two, um, I every time I watch it, I see this hand in the background. The first time I watched it, I'm like, "Was that a hand?" And I actually paused and rewound it, and sure enough, it was. And then, of course, it, it makes sense later on. But uh, did you know? Well,
0: and and not just uh, uh, only on rewatch. And I actually did the exact same thing as soon as I uh, as soon as I watched the um, uh, uh, saw the end. Because they they show that that close-up, right? That grainy close-up still photo kind of flashback. Uh, And I thought, I wonder if that was even in there. And it turns out you can see the whole, like, it's not just the hand, like you can sort of see the blurry face as the camera tilts up, which I thought was great, especially because this is one of the things that Vigalondo says in, his, in in one of his behind-the-scenes interviews, which was, you know, we we had to really pay attention to where, you know, where these cameras were, particularly in that lab, uh, because there are things we want to show you when we need to show you them, and absolutely things we, we need to not show you. Uh, and so positioning was important. And I had assumed that part of that positioning meant we don't want to show you where that hand was because we don't want you to see it. Uh, But it makes for a wonderful sort of ghosted image. Uh, And I think a really nice touch on rewatch.
1: Oh, it's great. Yeah.
0: So I have one question that
1: I've never quite understood. And I think it's worth asking. So Hector 2 um, after he's uh crashed his car or, or been hit he was sitting on the road parked and the red van comes up and hits him runs him off the road he crashes into a tree he goes to pull off the bandage that he had wrapped around his scissor stab and it's but it, the, it's full of this white liquid and he as he's unwrapping it he's just looking at it like questioningly and like as if it healed his wound and that was my presumption is it seems like there's no stab wound there anymore am i wrong like did that white liquid when he gets into the time travel machine does it like heal his wound?
0: Uh, I don't know what the white goo does. The white goo is obviously the goo that was in the vat that he gets into. It is the time travel goo and it is his bandage is soaked with this time travel goo. Right. Is is what we're saying. And it's when he starts unpeeling uh, unraveling it around his wound on his arm and we see a lot of goo and it felt like the goo was like there was more goo. There's there way too much goo. Uh, for for what it was, it felt like the goo was like coming out of his wound somehow to me. There there was a lot of goo. Yes. There's a lot of goo. A lot of goo, and uh, and then he takes it that. It's practically he, a, a discharge.
1: Well, because he he's saying, noticing like it like discharge. spilling into the into the car, or like onto the, yes. the floor of the car. We're seeing this white, full of kind of that blood, just pouring all over yeah. the 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 car. And he unwraps it and he's looking at it like, "What happened to my wound?" And yeah. then he um. And then he takes it, though, and and that's what spurs him on to wrap it around his head. And it soaks into the blood, which gives him that kind of that bloody bandage that's around his head um, that he's seen, the, the character with the bloody bandage chasing him. But it never heals his head. And that's I guess that that's the other part of my question is, okay, it seems like it's healing his arm. But his head is clearly not healed because by the time he's at the end and he's taken off that... The, he looks
0: terrible. He's
1: a mess, right? Yeah.
0: He's a disaster. I At one point, I thought maybe it was that time travel goo uh, somehow connected him to another version of him and it sort of replaced his wound with a healed thing uh, from one of the other time travelers. Um that there's some sort of overlap or stacking that goes on as they went through. But I, I don't know. I can't, I couldn't make sense of the goo. Yeah. Um, so that's one confusing part
1: and it's not, I mean, it's a, it's a very, um, minor thing. It's not even a problem. It's just, it's something that I find very curious and I've never quite been able to kind of resolve in my head.
0: You know, if only because he's so Vigalondo is so intentional about the things he wants you to pay attention to. Yeah. And, this one he really calls attention to with a lot of really precise close-ups. And that goo is, I mean, as it splats down on the carpet, it it looks alive. Like there is a a real, you know, notice paid yeah. to this stuff. Well, and then,
1: it, and it is like he he forces you to stop thinking about it because he goes from unwrapping it and you're seeing mm-hmm. the goo drip and you're seeing him unwrapping it And you're like, oh, is it going is it, is he healed? Is he healed? And then just as he's starting to kind of get you to a place where you're going to reveal this, he realizes that he, he, he dabs it on his head and that gives him the whole idea to wrap his head with it. And you totally stop paying attention to his arm.
0: And you know, I want to make a point about the bandage um, on his head because it makes it look like this is a crazy serial killer in the woods movie, and <laughs> right. I think that is is really subversive. And and honestly, in this case, I think the marketing works because uh, I, I I find it you know r- watching this guy with the scissors and the mask and everybody's running from him uh, it, it is uh, it, it's genuinely scary. And yet, as I watch this thing, I thought, oh. This is a movie I I would like my eleven year old to watch. Like we could get away with this. Uh, yeah, a <laughs> little the nudity naked, in this thing. Naked yeah, woman I mean, laying I, in the I, field. I, I could I could give him an iPad for a few minutes, but uh, <laughs> that'll distract him well enough. But but it is not it, it's not a terrifying movie in that regard. This is not that kind of movie. It is absolutely a fun uh, thinking time travel movie, and I I think it's it's great in that regard. It's not a horror serial killer film right yeah. Vigalondo says that he intended when he first had the idea he said I think I can do this whole thing in a year I think I can knock out the script and it's going to be a small low-budget m- movie and ended up taking 11 drafts complete drafts of the screenplay in five years Boy, if that doesn't um, sound like every filmmaker right it's like, oh no I can totally get this done quick I could totally knock it out six <laughs> weeks for scripting not a problem <laughs> so
1: funny. Uh, I like that he uh you know, he clearly was inspired by uh, as he said by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons um in the uh the the um comic magazine 2000 AD. Um they had done a one-off called Chronocops uh, back in the 80s and that was he said it was his biggest influence. Um I am I'm absolutely not familiar with uh with that story. Have you ever looked into no, that one?
0: No, I never have.
1: Well, considering my my love for Watchmen, it makes me Surprised, and I really want yeah. to seek it out now.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've never done it. We should. Uh, we'll dig it up. Put a link. Yeah. We'll put Did a you link hear where th-
1: links go. That's right. Did you hear that? The uh, is like practically a tornado. It's like this huge storm hit them while they were filming, and uh, they were. I think that they said that it, it was at night. They were filming out on the um, the hill um, where the front of the silo was, which was kind of the set front. And this crazy storm hit and it was like blowing these lights over and, and every, everybody had to like jump in and grab things and pull them down so that people weren't, so these things weren't blowing away and, and things were not blowing on down on top of people. It blew half the set apart. Uh, trees were like ripped out of their roots. Um, it was this crazy, crazy storm and it just threw off their production schedule a few days. They had to kind of revise the whole thing and jump into all their uh, their interiors so that the whole set could be rebuilt.
0: Wow. I can't even imagine having to deal with that it's, in production. Let's do the deep scene dive, Andy. Let's do it. I, I don't know. I'm a little bit uh, shaky on this, but I think that I, I wanted to talk about this sequence in particular. This is the start of Hector 3 at the end of the movie. What did we say? It's about an hour and 10 minutes into the film. right? Uh, yeah. And it's also the, re, the, the re- revisiting of the start of Hector 2. Um, Correct, and it is a sequence that we get both with Cara Elejalde and um, uh, Nacho Viglondo as, as our friendly scientist, uh, and they do this handoff. Um, this is the sequence you you mentioned where we where we get to see uh, you know how he says, "Hey, there's an, in just 45 seconds, somebody else is going to come through here, and this is what you're going to do." Uh, and we see him, H- Hector 3, hide behind that that piece of equipment where the hand is that we talked about earlier in the film. I really like this sequence for a couple of reasons. First of all, because he's not afraid to do these really cool noir angles and high angles, low angles, all of these off-axis angles. And the whole sequence starts with a very high angle in the ceiling where you get a, a nice view of what's going on in this lab. You see the time travel device, this great hatch that is lifted up over this large basin filled with the white uh, goo. Uh, and all of this fancy sort of throwback, sort of uh, kind of cobbled together equipment uh, uh, against the wall and, and get to see sort of the mechanics of the, of the whole place as they, as they come in and kind of make themselves at home. Uh, the, it's a, a showcase, I think, of low budget production design that actually looks believable. And when you have to buy the tech in order to buy the narrative, I think this is a showcase for a film that gets that right
1: yeah I, I totally agree. The thing that I love so much about this this sequence is is technically we're it's very, very deceptive the way that really we're watching several scenes here because we are actually watching the end of Hector 2 at the very beginning of the sequence. That overhead shot is Hector 2 as he, yes, as he goes and gets into the machine. and then there he zaps away to who knows where. And what's brilliant here is you cut to a shot of the scientist then going up to his machine, which is exactly what he was about to do. And you think this is the scientist at the end of Hector 2, but in reality, we have now jumped to the scientist early in the film. And it's it's so deceptive. You don't even know that there was a jump in time there. And that's what's so brilliant about that edit, because it's 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 a clean... Uh, disguise of time games that the director is playing with with us here and the only way that you know if you're really paying attention is the fact that when you're watching the scientist as he starts fiddling with the dials and stuff before you start hearing the banging on the tank he is lit from behind by the sunlight that is blasting yes. through the windows that's what gives it away and you go oh oh this is early this is the first time that this scientist turns this machine on, and this is the moment that Hector 3 actually appears. And it's so cleanly done where it's when when you realize what happened, you're like, oh, we just jumped back in time and I didn't even know it. Yeah. So brilliant and clean right. and just smart. Because um, immediately
0: then, before this sequence, they had flashlights. They were outside in the dark looking for the walkie-talkie and the battery. The
1: battery, Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. So it's just it was really exciting when when I caught what was going on there. I'm like, "Oh, that was just brilliant because we basically are watching the end of Hector 2 and then the beginning of Hector 3 and uh and the beginning of Hector uh, of Hector 2 all yeah. kind of in that one 2-minute stretch of time. Just really exciting the way that it all plays out.
0: Kara Elahalde is is fantastic in this movie. I love that they made our protagonist kind of a schlep. Oh, my favorite is when he's
1: trying to run away from from the, the who he thinks is the killer chasing him, <laughs> and he's running up the hill, and he just he's so winded that he like collapses
0: on the ground because yeah. he just he can't even <laughs> get up the hill. Oh, that was great! <laughs> I love it because that yeah, makes it feel real and and close uh, right. to me. <laughs> right? <laughs> Please, just don't chase me. Just don't chase me. Uh, and and uh, Nacho Vigalondo, you know, he'd been uh, he, he is also an actor, and he, he uh, I, I think this is not. To me, this is not a a, a vanity film, uh, you know, where you have a director just putting himself in the film to see himself on screen. I think he is a, a legitimately talented performer as well here, and uh, as confusing as that must be to have to keep it all in your head and be in character. Um, you know, in the same space, uh, you know, I I think this was a a daunting undertaking. And I think he did a great job. He acts
1: in quite a bit of projects. He actually acts in his short film that he got the Oscar nomination for. I don't see him acting in any of his other big films that he's done after Time Crimes, like Extraterrestrial or Colossal. Um, Those are ones that it seems like, you know, maybe by that point, he's just like, you know, I'm going to focus on directing when I'm directing and I'll do acting for other people's projects but I'm not going to do them both together. Um, yeah yeah maybe that's for the best. And I still haven't seen Colossal which uh, I really need to go see now.
0: Even though they're not in the deep scene, uh, and we do have to talk about Candela Fernandez as Clara the wife and Barbara Gonaga as the uh, the woman in the forest. They round out a wonderful small cast.
1: Yeah, it's a nice cast. It works really well in context of kind of low budget film, low budget sci-fi. And I think they both really do their jobs well. I think uh, Candela uh, playing uh, Clara is just, I mean, she's a great, a great wife. And I think it works really well in context of watching this story of uh, the allegorical version of him having this affair. And, and then you get to the end and you, you, his wife, you know, clearly knows that something is happening with him because he's been brutally beaten and is bloody and, and, and uh, swollen. Yeah. Um, and, and it's kind of terrified by the time we get to the ending, which works in context of the story. But it also makes you feel like this is a woman who may have some hints of things that are going on, but is not going to ask any questions and is just going to kind of move forward. And it'll be kind of this tragic
0: point in her life. And it, it, I think it works well in both ways. Well, you know, one of the reasons that I think it works well for me is because uh, there are this would have been a great opportunity for um, a, a lesser script to have a lot of dialogue of explanation, right? To use a scene to recap how we got here and tell her that, you know, this is what's going on and they didn't and she comes off as a stronger character as a result of it. Yeah, she really does. Uh Barbara Ganaga as the uh, as the woman in the forest, I think she's uh she has a little bit more to do. Uh, in the movie for sure, because she gets to come in and out of the narrative, you know, several times.
1: Yeah. And you know, she, uh, I know that she had worked on, um, some of Vigalondo's projects beforehand. Um, and so they, they just kind of knew each other. They probably had that shorthand as far as working together. Um, mm-hmm. but she works really well as, uh, again, as this potential, uh, love interest and just this mysterious woman that draws him into this crazy time travel story. And it's kind of tough watching her have to go through the motions that he forces her into um, just kind of keep himself in the loop the whole time. It, it, you know, it's kind of sad to see that this is what, what happens to her. And um, it makes, if it's just the sci-fi story and we're not looking at as the allegorical version, um, it makes for just this really tragic story of this woman who, who, I mean, if you think about it, so this, she finds this guy, who, um, Who is injured in a car accident? Um, she tries to help him. He kidnaps her, uh, chases her. She gets knocked unconscious um, after he makes her strip and all of this. And then um, she wakes up. Um, he's gone. Um, she finds this other guy who brings her to his house where they're being stalked by this killer guy and she's murdered. It's like, it's a really right. tragic story for right. her.
0: Yeah. It, no, it it's it is just terrible. And the, for me, her greatest scene is the scene where she's ultimately betrayed, where he cuts her hair and puts the red jacket on her. And it's it is her, uh, you know, it's us saying goodbye to to her. And I am so moved by that sequence because we already know, like we know how this is going to end up. We've seen the red jacket. We thought it was Candela Fernandez, but it, it turns out now we know how this is going to end. And and I think she just, uh, the two of them together as they escape the house, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a remarkably touching scene uh, in a very intense moment.
1: I didn't uh, notice this, but I, I read about it that, the, her shirt that has the two kind of cats the two versions of the cat on it yeah it's Schrodinger's cat which I think is just a nice little touch in a time travel movie to have that totally one.
0: totally <laughs> so. I totally do and and the, you know what you, you they make a kind of a this is another thing you really want to pay attention to when he grabs the keys hanging on the uh, on the wall you see the shape of the of what you think is uh, I guess the logo of this company. Uh, if it's not the logo of the company that installed the gate, I feel like it's more of whoever the this sort of nefarious agency is that has all this time travel gear. Um, and then uh, that the negative space between the cats on her shirt is in the same shape as the remote for that gate. I certainly didn't notice that. I was not paying attention to it, uh, but that's another one that people seem to write about.
1: Well, and it's fun for for uh, you know the production uh, uh, the production design team to kind of play with these sorts of things and and give people these little things. I mean, it's it's their world, and it's it's kind of all the stuff that they're thinking about. It's not necessarily right. the stuff the focus that the directors have or anything like that. I mean, I'm sure that they talk to Nacho about these little things, but. It's it's kind of those little details that they get to sprinkle in that just makes it that much more enjoyable for, for everybody watching it and discovering these little things.
0: How did it do in award season,
1: Andy? It's one of those quirky little indie sci-fi movies that it's not a huge hit, but uh, the people that it, that are drawn to it. Um, really enjoy it. it. It did end up having eight wins and seven other nominations. It started out at the Austin Fantastic Fest in 2007, where um, Nacho won the Next Wave Award there. And it went on to win a number of other awards at a lot of other kind of those sci fi fantasy festivals. Um, in Spain, it did at the, the Cinema Writer Circle Awards. Nacho won the best new artist. It was also nominated for best original screenplay and best editing. And then the Goya Awards, he was uh nominated for best new director. So, it's a film where people took notice. It's not something that um was a huge, you know, huge splash or anything like that, but enough to kind of keep him moving forward.
0: Yeah, and and building quite a career out of it. I I was disappointed to hear him talk about how excited he was that there was going to be a remake uh, of this movie, a a, a, a English language remake of this movie. And then to find that that's in limbo.
1: It's been uh, tried a few times. Initially United Artists was going to try to do a remake. sounds like David Cronenberg was coming on board to direct it, which sound, that sounds like a really interesting way to tell this story. Yeah. and then that, that never moved, though, and so it ended up moving over to DreamWorks, and Steve Zalian was uh, on board to write and produce. Now, that was as of 2011. I haven't heard anything since then. The only other note that I have is that apparently Tom Cruise was attached at, at one point or another to <coughs> one of these. And I would really like to think that it was the, the David Cronenberg version, because that really excites me. Tom Cruise in the remake of this time travel movie done by David Cronenberg. Done by David Cronenberg? <laughs> That's awesome. Movies we want to see. Movies we want to see.
0: That's a new podcast. How to oh. do... Uh, uh, give, us, give us the lowdown of the uh, box office. Were you able to find enough numbers, uh, given its international uh, heritage? For his
1: feature debut, uh, Vigalondo had $2.6 million to make this trippy little time travel movie, which is just over $3 million in today's dollars. The movie, as I said, opened at Fantastic Fest down in Austin, September 20th, 2007, which kicked off its festival circuit before finally opening in Spain in June 2008 and then the U.S. December 12th, 2008. Unfortunately, Magnolia Films, who picked it up at Fantastic Fest, they really could not figure out how to market this, and the film just never made it past a seven-screen release here in the U.S., even though it's arguably better than anything else that opened wide that weekend. It was the Day the Earth Stood Still remake, uh, the animated film Delgo, and the Christmas film Nothing Like the Holidays. The movie only made thirty-nine, just just under $40,000 here in the U.S. Unfortunately, it didn't fare any better internationally, making over $525,000 overseas, it gives the film an adjusted gross of six hundred fifty five thousand, which means it ended up with an adjusted loss per finished minute of just over twenty six thousand dollars. Still, it is creative enough to have found a following and perhaps you could say it has now gained a cult status. So I guess it's a win.
0: Well, it's it's worth seeing, and you wanna make, you, you you wanna encourage people to see it not as a cult film, uh, because it's better it needs a, a wider audience than that. Yeah, it really does. Well, Andy, I think it's probably time for us. To rank it. Let's do it. Head over to FlickChart.com slash The Next Reel. You'll see our list of all the movies we've talked about on this show. But if you swipe over in your show notes and you tap the word FlickChart, it will take you straight to this movie in the FlickChart database where you can add it to your list and see how it stacks against ours.
1: All right. First up, we have Time Crimes or Numi, the girl with the dragon tattoo.
0: Oh, Andy. I'm
1: Time Crimes. Andy,
0: Andy. Are you? You seem so confident. This is a hard choice for me.
1: I, I really thought about it afterward and, and and some of the issues that I had and stuff. And I, I feel like I've gotten through all of that. So I feel really confident in my love for this film. So, yes, Time Crimes.
0: Okay. I'm I'm there.
1: I like it. Time Crimes or Live Free or Die Hard. I am going to say Live Free or Die Hard.
0: <laughs> you are? <laughs> See, uh, this is hard for me, too. I, uh... I, uh, uh, uh. All right. I'll follow you on this one, too.
1: All right. Time Crimes or Beverly Hills Cop? Time Crimes. Time Crimes. I have no trouble there. Not, nor do I. Time Crimes or the outlaw Josie Wales? Time Um, Crimes. Time Crimes. Time Crimes or uh, some Zhang Yimou, Judo? Time Crimes. I'll say Time Crimes as well. Time Crimes or The Dish? Oh. oh. I
0: know. I'm going
1: to say Time Crimes, though.
0: Me too, but it hurts. I know it does. The dish was so sweet.
1: It really is. Uh, All those sheep and all those astronauts. NASA scientists. Those
0: are are not the two things I would have said. (laughs) Hey,
1: more more Zhang Yamu. Time crimes or raise the red lantern. Time crimes. Oh, see here. Mm hmm I feel like these are really close on my list, and I'm torn. Um, I'll say time crimes, but I, I may, I might feel guilty about that later.
0: You just whisked by my guilt earlier. So move on, Andy.
1: <laughs> All right. Time crimes or seven samurai? Uh,
0: time crimes. And Ooh. it's only because if I were watching them next to one another, this is one of those. Four I know what people are saying. Crimes. Exactly. <laughs> <gonna> cool. 90 <laughs> minutes to spare. I'm hitting up time crimes.
1: Um, I'll say time crimes, but I also feel guilty about that one. Yeah. All right. Well, that lands Time Crimes at 89 on our chart. 89 out of 352. That's a solid place for the kicking off of our series. It's, it's only 75%, but still, we have talked about a lot of great movies.
0: We've talked about a lot of great movies. Let me just give you one uh, matchup that we did not get. Time Crimes or Memento.
1: Which we haven't talked about on the show.
0: I know. That's a tricky one. I would pick Memento. I did pick Memento. That's what what screwed up uh, Time Crimes on my own flick chart list, which landed it at 287 out of 1022. It was Memento that that blocked it up. It was actually climbing uh, higher than that. So where did it land on your chart, your personal
1: Uh, chart? I landed at 219 out of 3956.
0: So it's up to 94%. It's really high for me. Yeah. Wow. Well, if I go by the algorithm, it should be a three and a half stars, which feels low to me. I imagine you are even higher than that. I am. I am. You know, I when I first watched
1: this, I was just so in love with the loops and everything that I gave it five stars. I think there are a few little things for me that that dropped it a half star, but only a half star. I'm at four and a half and I feel really yep. good about that.
0: Yep, me too. Four and a half with a like. I I, I think it's absolutely worth it. It's worth seeing. And uh, it, it, adding to the collection of uh, favorite time travel films, if you haven't seen it, this is a really fun movie. Absolutely. So check that out. You can check out uh, all of our rankings over at letterbox.com slash The Next Reel. Andy, where do we go from here?
1: Oh, I'm looking forward to this next one, Pete. This is the one from this series that we're doing that I have yet to see. And it's one I've been excited about seeing ever since it came out. I just have never gotten around to it for some stupid reason. And it is Richard Curtis's um, time travel rom com about time from uh, uh, with um, uh, Rachel McAdams and uh, what's his name? Good old Tom.
0: Tom Gleason yes, and this was go. actually a and Bill Nye and Margot Robbie. I mean, there's a this is a great cast. And in fact, it was a trailer pick. From one of us, ah, you're right. From way yep. back in the day, and I can't believe you haven't seen it. It's, uh, 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 it's gonna be super fun. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. You should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. com. You can subscribe to this show in your favorite podcast app or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at thenextreal. And hey, if you enjoyed this show and uh, would
1: like to support us in what we do over here and uh, talking about. Other great films. Uh, hey, consider a regular donation to our Patreon page. You get to join in our back channel conversations we have on Discord. Uh, throw out some options for some movies for upcoming series, and you get access to the members-only weekend show, the Saturday matinee, where we talk movies, trailers, and more. Plus, we have a battle of the lists of movies related to our show that week. In honor of uh, of this film, Time Crimes, we are going to be doing on this week's lists protagonists in downward spirals. So it should be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we won't be on our own downward spirals. Uh so but yeah, you good. can just, just head on over to patreon.com slash the next reel.
0: The next reel could not happen without the hard work of Steven Smart, who runs our Instagram program and creates lots of fantastic graphics for this uh for this show, for the web, etc. and so on. Ben Sterick helps Steven out over there. Ben Lott runs all things Twitter and the Blot Spot and the Next Real theme, Ragtime Instrumental. Can be found by the great Eli Catlin over on his SoundCloud page. Thank you, Eli, for allowing us to use that song for so, so long. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Amazon giveth Andy, as Amazon always doeth. And Amazon tonight has uh, given us a uh, great many excuses for people to write in, thanks to its uh, lack of advertising. Apparently, that the movie is dubbed. Uh, oh, Amazon! And, and not, they need to get yeah. Yeah. that together. They really, they really, really do. I mean, that is that is a genuine problem uh, across Amazon. Which I mean, I I feel like that's we've been through that. But also. There are people who just don't like this movie. Oh, yes, there are. In fact, Daniel says uh, with his one star review, the true crime is that I watched this movie for a whole 20 minutes before I realized I was subjecting myself to watching it. (laughs) 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 Which is like his own little time crime. I I love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfect.
1: It was almost like he went back in time and was watching himself watch it and had to tell
0: himself to stop watching it. I wonder if he stabbed himself in the arm with scissors to get him oh, to stop watching it.
1: That would have been the real perfect end for this review. I had to that's stab right. myself in the I arm to stop. To stop. Right. <laughs> oh, well, I've got a one star by Christopher Rotolo, who says uh, zero stars. Wow. So bad. Quite possibly the worst movie I've ever watched and worst in history total rubbish i took a gamble on it don't waste your time it is horrible and awful real
0: bad (laughs) worst in history (laughs) excellent portrayal andy that was the delivery was on the mark (laughs) oh thank you thanks amazon i've been podcasting since 2006